0: Demons are real, and uh, <clears throat> they live in sound booths. And it's not its not Dave. It's not Dave. It's just his unconfessed sin that's the problem. No, I'm just kidding. All right. I'm totally joking. I, I kind of told myself I wasn't going to say anything, but then Sonia kind of, see beeped in. No, I'm joking. Isaiah 64.1 is really what I want to quote to you in the beginning because this is the theme verse of this series. So please listen to this verse as I quote it out loud. It says, oh, this is Isaiah's prayer, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, open the heavens. Here's his prayer. God, open up heaven. And here's what I want you to do. Open up heaven that thou wouldest come down. God, I'm on earth. I'm standing here on planet earth in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And here's what I'm wanting you to do this morning. I'm going to church this morning And I'm going to be in a worship service at 1030, and God, when 1030 comes, I know you're going to be there because we we all, you know, those of us who are saved and have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that is God himself in the form of the Spirit of God in us, but God, I want more than that. God, I want you to literally open up the heaven and come down. Come down, and it says this, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. I want it to be so powerful, God, that when you come down, things happen that don't normally happen. Like mountains shake and crumble and fall down. And God, I mean, like, when you come, God, I want it to be so powerful, and I want everybody to notice it. That's what that verse teaches. Isaiah's not in heaven when he says that. Isaiah's on earth. And Isaiah says, God, I want you to open the heavens and come down. Our sermon series is five weeks long. We're in the second week of this biblical series on what brings the glory down in the church. Our first message was last Sunday. It's on the website, and it was entitled... Biblical proclamation of God's word. That's what brings the glory down in the church. We talked about preaching. We talked about the word of God uh, being proclaimed, being taught, being exhorted, being something uh, that can change us and, 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 and make a difference is the preaching of God's word. Not man's opinion, not lofty wisdom, not eloquent preaching, but God's word preached in power brings the glory down in the church. And it's very important. What we're going to talk about today is something a little bit different than preaching. Because I want to give everybody a heads up, just in case you didn't know this. There'll be no preaching in heaven. One day, somebody's going to preach the last sermon ever preached. We won't need to preach the gospel in heaven. Everybody's going to be saved in heaven. So preaching will one day be done with. It'll be over. And I believe we ought to put a premium on preaching. I made it my first message just in case anybody would come and say, you know, Brother Eric's being critical. Of, I'm not being critical of preaching. I'm just telling you right now, folks, what I'm talking about today is going to happen in heaven for eternity. And it might be that some of us need to get with it and to learn something about something we're going to do forever and not something we're going to stop one day. I'll preach my last sermon, I'll never stop worshiping. And so sermon number two, what brings glory down in the church? Passionate worship. Passionate worship of who? Of God's Son. Biblical proclamation of God's Word, passionate worship of God's Son. Now, what do you come to church for? That's a good question, isn't it? What do you come to church for? I, I think that's a fair question. I think it's one that, uh, you know, if we, if we had a, uh, I, I kind of wanted to go down the streets of Hot Springs. We just, we, we got a lot done this week, but we didn't get this done. I wanted to go down the streets of Hot Springs and just randomly ask people why they go to church. I thought it'd be really interesting to hear what people would say. Off the cuff, I won't do it here, but I guarantee you it would be a very nerve-wracking question to most people. Ah. Uh, I think some people would probably say, well, I come to church, you know, to see my friends. I come to church because Brother Eric usually, you know, he, he preaches something that I, I enjoy. He makes me laugh a little bit. And I come to church because, well, because the Bible says, come to church. I come to church because it's, it's good for connections and, 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 and for people. I come to church because I want my kids to, you know, get a solid foundation. Those are all good answers. But we come to church... To experience the power of God. (laughs) That's why we come to church. We come to church to worship God and to do those things that promote Him. To promote His manifest presence in the church. We come to church to experience His power. There's nothing wrong with that word experience. We want God to show up. In a powerful way. To see God's glory is what we were created to long for. We were created to long for God's glory in our lives, in this place, in our homes. So what brings the glory down? If we were created to, to, to long for his glory, to experience his glory. We already talked about the fact that this is a very important time each week for us. We come together as God's people, and the more we understand that, the more people that are going to show up and and bring guests and bring visitors, that's going to build when we understand just how incredible 10.30 is every week and 6 o'clock is every Sunday night. And again, we don't have two separate services, but there's two separate crowds that come for the same purpose, to hear the same message but we come together for a purpose as a congregation. For the preaching of God's word, the biblical proclamation of God's word, and for awe-inspiring adoration. And so I want us to study God's word. And I want us to remember that how this happens when we come together because we're working on this. This is not something that, that is coming naturally for us. We didn't start the church with an understanding of some things. I, we just didn't. You had a young preacher. I, I was rough around the edges. I, I, I was following mentors and, and and books and and the way that I saw it done uh, a certain way. And so I just thought, you know, well, that's the way to do it. And I got to be honest, I, I, I wasn't really studying the scriptures for myself. I was really good at programs and, and, and knocking on doors and, and getting people to come to church. But I, I had to learn some things. And so guess what? I didn't leave You didn't leave, I stuck with it, you stuck with it, and so 21 years later, here we are. Most preachers don't get to experience this. Most preachers take off, and they start somewhere else and do it the same way somewhere else until they get old and retire and draw a check. Me, I've stuck it out, and I'm willing to make some changes so that we can become exactly what God wants us to be so that the next 20 years, if God lets me live that long, will be stronger and better with a greater understanding, and then when this church is given to a younger pastor one day, he'll be given something that can, that can grow see it's not easy to make changes, it's not easy to discover and say, man, I want to understand that better, but that's what I've had to do about preaching, I've had to do that church I've, I've had to say, God, I want to preach the way you want me to preach and I'm I'm empty, God. Show me what you want me to do. And God has taught me some things about preaching and expository preaching and preaching through the Bible and preaching verse by verse and not getting on rabbit trails and tangents and opinions. And God's helped me with that. I, I expressed that to you last week, and most of you seem to appreciate that. And then I expressed to you today about this thing of worship. And so could we do something that's really might be kind of weird to some of you guys? So you don't have to do it, but I feel led to do this. I really do. I just feel led to do it. It's not shouldn't be too spooky, but I want to do this. I want to just whoever you're sitting next to, I want you to, in just a moment, I want you to hold hands with that person. The Bible says that we ought to agree in prayer. Amen? If any come together on earth and agree, then God can work in agreement. God can't work when we've got disunity, but let's just pray that God, at the end of this message, will give us an understanding as a church family together. Together. Let's hold hands together with those we're sitting next to. Even if it's a boyfriend and girlfriend, hopefully you can get your mind on the right thing at church. Hallelujah. This is your one chance, okay? (laughs) Father, we come together to agree. We agree today that your word is open to John chapter 4. We agree today that we are going to open up our hearts to what you want us to learn. I know, God, that I've been, I've been just knee-deep. I've been really in over my head, to be honest, in this, passage, in this scripture. And, Father, I think that you have brought me to the pulpit this morning with an understanding of what it means to worship. And I want to be able to say it the way that you would say it if you were here. And So, God, please, as we learn What brings the glory down in the church? Help us together to be willing to take a journey of understanding Scripture. And become more and more ready for an eternity in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 4, look at verse 24, our theme verse. It says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, in the text that we're about to read and review just for a moment as a, as a foundation, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, okay? That's the last verse, that we're, that's kind of the climax verse of this passage. But in this passage, there's a conversation going on between Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and a Samaritan woman. You see, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they had intermarried with the Gentiles. Now, since I can say this, this is a good opportunity for me to say it. The Bible does not condemn interracial marriage anywhere. You just can't find it. You'll not find a passage of scripture that comes to that conclusion. What the Bible does condemn is interfaith marriage. You see, and that's what what, what the Samaritans were looked down upon for was, was not interracial, interfaith marriage. So let's pick up the conversation, if you would please, in verse 13. Back up. or Actually, let's go back to verse 10. The, the conversation is about living water. Kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, when you, go, when you ask for water, do you ever ask for that? Hey, could you give me a glass of living water? You know, can you imagine the waitress comes, we took the Gormley's out last night for their 25th anniversary, had a great time, got free dessert, hallelujah. I I just told him, I said, hey, this is our 25th year and this is their 25th year, they come back and we got free key lime pie and molten lava chocolate, can you believe it? I love that stuff, don't you love free? I love free. And when the waiter came by, we all asked for water, four waters, all of us got water good way to save a little money and 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 if you're going to pay for dessert i'd rather pay for dessert than a coke amen so i said sir we'll take some living water if i'd have said that i guarantee he would looked at me like this samaritan woman looked at jesus what you talking about (laughs) living water you see living water is a picture it's a picture of what jesus can do in a life what it is. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So the woman says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She didn't get it. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall... Thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Amen. Look at verse 16. So Jesus says to her, go, call thy husband and and come hither. He knew what he was doing. He knew she didn't have a husband and she'd been married multiple times, but he asked her the question to get her to think about some things. And the woman says, "Uh, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Is that, uh, uh, excuse me, is that saidest thou truly? And uh, no, Excuse me, in that saidest thou truly. In other words, yeah, you're right, you have no husband, and not only that, but you've had five husbands. And then she asked this question. She said, or rather, she makes this statement, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Major understatement. Amen? <laughs> wow. You must be a prophet. And then she does what all of us would do right now. She's really nervous, right? And so she does a major change of subject. (laughs) Don't we do that? When we get nervous, we change the subject. And she did. I mean, we're talking about her life and she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say, all of a sudden we're talking about worship, you know. That in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, I believe, uh, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither uh, in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that, that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we have an amazing passage of scripture here. And Jesus begins to speak to this woman about the subject of worship in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem. God says, wait a minute, I just want you to know, it is not about geography. It's not about the mountain, it's not about the place, it's not about Jerusalem. He says, ye worship ye you know not what. I think that's probably our problem. Our problem is her problem. We really don't know what to worship. If we knew what to worship, we'd have a greater understanding of what worship is. If we knew what to worship, we'd know a little bit more about what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. When we don't understand something, what do we need? We need understanding. We need God to teach us. And so he says in verse 22, you worship, you know not what... We know what we worship for salvation is of the Lord. God says, I want to teach you what real worship is here because the hour is coming, verse 23, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father two ways. One, in spirit, and and two, in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. What is God looking for? He is looking for true worshipers. Now, if you look at this passage of Scripture, it doesn't take a a, a theologian to see that there is a word here that is being taught. There is something that God is trying to get across to this audience in 2014 as we read this Scripture that is very relevant today. Amen. It's the word worship. I mean, he says it about 12 times. Worship, 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 worship. So God says, I'm looking for some worshipers. Can I find any? Are there any true worshipers that would like to worship me in spirit and in truth? Let's begin. Number one, the pattern of worship. The pattern of worship. Now, when we talk about the pattern of worship, we're going to discover the definition of worship. What is the definition, the biblical definition of worship? Well, I, I I got some off the internet. I thought I'd give you from some, from some well-known teachers and preachers of God's word. Louis Giglio said, "Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and for what He's done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live." I like that. Warren Wiersbe said, "Worship is the believer's response to all they are: mind, emotions, will, body." To what God is and says and does. Mark Driscoll says that worship is living our life individually and corporately as continuous living sacrifices to the glory of a person or a thing. John Piper said worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence. The worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it. With all our heart and soul and mind and strength. The church needs to build a common vision of what worship is. And what she is gathering to do on Sunday morning. And scattering to do on Monday morning. What a definition. I like Tim Keller's. Worship is pulling our effect, or putting our affection off our idols and putting our affection on God. That might be the best one. Truth of the matter is, when we come to church, we figure out what our idols are. Because whatever we worship more than Jesus is an idol. And most people come to church and worship a lot of things more than Jesus. With their mind, will, soul, and bodies. They worship things more than they worship Jesus. These are great definitions. But, but let's look at the Old Testament definition and the New Testament definition. Because these are good definitions, but these were men, right? Right on, spot on. Loved it. Every one of them I, I, I tend to agree with. But what does what the Old Testament uh, describe worship as? Let me give you four words. Praise, adore, rejoice, and give thanks. Those are four words that describe worship. Praise, adore, giving thanks, rejoicing. Literally in the Old Testament, here's what it means. Literally. To fall or to prostrate yourself before someone on the ground. Literally, that's what worship means. To fall. To prostrate yourself before someone on the ground. That's incredible, isn't it? Chet, come here for just a second. Let me get a volunteer. All right, Chet. Here I am. uh, Illustrate worship. To fall and to prostrate yourself before someone on the ground. All right, Chet, do you feel uncomfortable right now? A little bit, he says. I think that you can stand up. Guess what? Thank you for illustrating something and for admitting you're uncomfortable with it, and you should be, because I'm a man. And and man does not deserve worship. Thank you. But that is, that's exactly what it looks like. The difference is, is that he's worshiping someone who doesn't deserve worship. I'm not who we've come here to watch and to experience. Literally, in the Old Testament, it means that. Anytime you see one person worshiping another person, that is a cult. It's a cult, and there's a lot of religious cults, amen, where man has been elevated, where man is the man and not God, where man is supreme, where man is who gets recognized, where man's picture is everywhere, where man's messages are lifted up, where it's about the man and not God. Because there's only one person worthy of bowing down to, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only person worthy. In In the New Testament, that's the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are two words to describe worship. One word is adoration. Adoration. And the other word is this, to give or to pay homage. To give or to pay homage. So worship in the New Testament is adoration or to give Or to ascribe or to pay homage. Here's a simple definition. Two words in your notes. Here it is. Ascribe worth. That's a simple definition of worship is to ascribe worth. That's worship. Giving worth to something. Are you with me? Are we learning? Are we understanding it? I'm just going really slow here. I want you to get it. All right, let's go to the Bible. Psalm 29. Look on the screen. Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2. Give unto the Lord... Some translations would use the word ascribe. Give is good. Ascribe is good. Either one. But I like give. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. When you worship, you are saying, that is worth more and I am worth less. I'm worth less than that. That's worth more. My life's verse has always been John 3:30. "He must increase, and I must decrease." That's a great understanding of worship. Something is more wor- is worth more than something else. So worship is the magnification or the elevation of someone else. But wait a minute, it's not just that. Yes, it's the magnification or elevation of something else, but it is also the de-emphasis of someone else. It's not only the elevation of someone else, but it is the de-emphasis of someone. Again, he must increase, I must decrease. That is worship. Top five things that people worship instead of God. Are you ready? Number five. Family, marriage, and children. It's the fifth thing. It's not the first thing, but it's, this is the top five. There are those who worship family and marriage and children more than they worship God. They value, you know, so goes their marriage relationship, so goes their relationship with God. So their, their children uh, are, are more important, how their children are, the condition of their children, uh, whether their children are living for God or not living for God determines whether or not they're going to worship God. Because the truth of the matter is, is family, marriage, and children are worth more to them than God is. A lot of people aren't in church today because of their marriage, of their family, because of their children. Why? Because that's more important than worshiping God. The Bible says very clearly in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's idolatry to put anything before God, including your marriage, your family, and your children. Number four, possessions. Possessions are something that people worship instead of God. Their boats, their cars, their motorcycles, their houses. The things that they possess. There are people today on the lake. They've chosen the lake And the boat and the water, there are people that choose hunting and guns and deer season comes around and a lot of people are in the woods. Why? They've chosen something over God. I don't want to admit that, but that's what they've done. They've chosen, I'm going to worship something. Well, I can go out in the woods and worship God. Good try, buddy. You can, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about about the Sabbath. And worshiping God With the congregation today. It's very important. And again if I'm going to preach the Bible. I might as well preach the whole truth. Amen. Because the truth of the matter is, is. We're not here for us. We're here for him. And so therefore we need to preach the truth. And if it makes us uncomfortable. And it makes him comfortable. I'm okay with that. You say well brother Eric. You know somebody might get upset. I just don't want him to get upset. I can't. I can't worry about whether or not you're upset if I'm preaching the truth. Amen? I've got to preach the truth so that you will know what to expect one day when you stand before God. So possession, Psalm 62, verse 10b says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If you make more money, okay. But don't set your heart upon that. If you get a nicer car, okay, well, Praise the Lord. But don't set your heart upon that. If you get a bigger house or or God blesses you with financial uh, blessings, wonderful. But don't worship your possessions more than you worship God. You see, there's nothing wrong with having things, but so often things have us. And it becomes idolatry. Number three, a famous person. This is really big amongst young people, even adults. Hollywood people are worshipped more than God. Athletes are worshipped more than God. Even people in ministry, even people in my profession are worshiped more than God. Listen, church, it is wrong to idolize a person. That's sin, that's idolatry. Don't put any person in the place of God. Can I tell you something about your idol today, the famous person that you look to? Let me just describe them to you in Scripture. Let me describe me in Scripture. Let me describe you in Scripture. Let me describe the whole world in Scripture. Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Feeling better about yourself? (laughs) No, you know what you're feeling? You're feeling in your your rightful place. I, I don't deserve worship, I'm not righteous. I don't deserve somebody to come to church for me. That's not why I want you here. I want you to know we are here to worship the only one that is worthy of our worship. No person is worthy of worship. Right. Let me tell you something. They worship and idolize people. You go to a, you, you, I, I may bring a Michael Jackson video. It's the most amazing video in the church next week just to show you how millions of people to just touch the hem, just to touch him, to touch Elvis... I've, I've had people not wash their hands because for weeks because they shook somebody's hand. I, I, I got to meet the president one day, and all anybody ever cared about was, did I get to shake his hand? And I didn't. I don't really like—famous people make me nervous. But nobody asked, what did he say? What did he speak on? When I met the president, all everybody wanted to know is, did I touch him? Did you shake his hand? How close did you get? Folks— He's just a man. <laughs> yes, he, 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 he's famous. Okay, he's famous. And yes, we need to pray for him. We don't worship him. Are you with me? No one deserves that. Number two, career. People worship their careers, their jobs. Do you worship your job? Is the number one thing on your list of things to worship is your career, your future, Man, I just, I'm I'm obsessed with what I'm going to do and making provision for all of this. Is your career what you worship? And then number one, myself. Top five things people worship instead of God. The number one thing is themselves, myself, what I want, what will make me happy. That's why I'm here today, Pastor. Bless me, and you're not doing a good job of it, so I may not come back next week. Bless me. I want to be blessed. I want what I want, pastor. I'm looking for a church that fits me. We are not here for us. We are here for Jesus Christ. We're not here for us, church. We're here for Jesus. Number two, let's talk about the priority of worship. The priority of worship. If you notice here in John chapter 4, there is a great priority on worship. It's the subject matter. It's what Jesus is discussing with this Samaritan woman as he attempts to lead her to Christ and present to her the gospel. He even goes as far as to say when he talks about worship that salvation is of the Jews. And really a better word there would be from the Jews. But it is, it is from the Jews, but it is salvation that's the emphasis. The Jews didn't save us. And they're not the only ones that can get saved, Amen. But salvation is, is really what worship leads to. So I want to declare war today as we prioritize worship on, on apathetic worship. Can I do that? I want to declare war on this, this idea that we have to be stoic and shoulders up. And we have to sing songs only that are 300 years old or 200 years old. Or some people say they have to be at least 40 years old. I mean, I've heard it all. It has to be this songwriter. It has to be that I'm declaring, I'm all for all kinds of songs, but I'm not for apathetic worship. I'm declaring war on on, on hypocritical worship. Jesus deserves our most passionate worship. Now, I understand that we're all different. For some, expressive worship is easier than others. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think expressive worship is going to be easy for me? Raise your hand. Is that all? Is anybody shocked that I'm expressive when I worship? I guess some of you are. Either that or everybody's mad at me right now. <laughs> Let me ask it again. Is anybody, sh- Honestly, you're- is anybody shocked if I'm more expressive in my worship than the average person? Raise your hand if you're not shocked by that. Okay. Thank you. I'm Italian. God made me this way. I kissed my dad on the lips, bro. I kiss my kids in the lips still. I love these guys. I mean, I'm I'm passionate. I'm on this way. Watch me live my life. I don't do anything halfway. And if I don't do anything halfway, I'm sure not going to come to church halfway. I mean, listen, I don't eat... I didn't eat your peanut butter pie. Miss Camille, when I ate that pie, I ate it with passion. It was phenomenal. I mean, it was like, oh, my soul. This is crazy good. This is so good. I mean... I gave some of it away, and then I hid the rest. No one knew where it was but me. I kept coming out with pieces. Where is it? You're not finding out. She made it for me. (laughs) Love this pie. You know, I coach with passion. I teach with passion. I have a 7.30 class. I don't have people fall asleep in my class. I'm into it, man. If you're going to teach at 7.30, get into it. I mean, I'm I'm walking, I'm using my hands, I'm expressive. God may be this way. I understand you may not be that way. But God made you to worship. God made you to worship. You may not be as expressive as someone else, and we're not to judge the person around us, amen. But can I say this, and here's my statement. I want all of us to discover who God made us to be. Who did God make you to be, you see. And whatever that is, max it out for God in worship. Max it out. Amen. I know, it's, I know it's more than this. Because I've seen some of you worship other stuff. And you're more than that. Well, God's just different. I don't get excited about church and God because I come preaching. Yeah, I know. You're all about you. I know that. Amen. See, some of you aren't used to me preaching so forthright. But how other way do you do this? it's in the bible and so here's the question what gets you most excited because anything that gets you more excited anything you get more excited about than jesus is a problem not one amen there (laughs) must be a problem amen anything you get more excited about than jesus christ is a problem You see, we want to be a church where the glory comes down, where Jesus is unashamedly adored. We are not bothered by what people think. I used to be bothered by that. Okay, can I tell you, can I, can I let you in on conversations I've had before? You like me when I'm transparent, don't you? No, Sonia, we can't sing that one because so-and-so is going to be in the service. How many times have you heard that? No, Sonia, let's not do that one because, no, let's not. Well, we got to be, no, don't play that. no, don't, do, no, no, and, and, and everything's about, well, we just want to, we got one person coming. I, I used to have people come up to me in our church and say, Pastor, why can't we just be us? Why do we always have to worry about what everybody else thinks? And I would say, well, you got to understand, you know, we're, we got a college, and we got to, you know, and we got to, you know, people. I thought God sent us here to win hot springs to Christ, and yeah, amen, right. I'm preaching to me right now. And so God began to change me and show me. So guess what happened? Yeah, exactly what you think. I lost every friend outside of Hot Springs. The only ones I got left is you. <laughs> That's it. I'm bare. I have nobody. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm done. You know, I still preach a little bit until they find out how I am now and they don't have me back. I'm having to make new friends. What's interesting is I am making new friends and I'm finding out that 7,000 haven't bowed their knees to Baal. I found out there's a whole lot more people worshiping God passionately than those that aren't. It just takes a while to to find those people. And so this morning, and I'm really going to not get done. I've got part two to this message. Did you notice at the bottom it says, to be continued? (laughs) So it may have to turn into three. But we're learning. This is a classroom. This is a laboratory for for a few weeks. Now, Not every church worships the same way. Some churches, choirs wear robes. Other churches, choirs don't wear robes. Other, some churches, you know, the they have a worship team, a praise team, you know, that leads the worship. Some churches have full bands that worship. Some churches just have acoustic worship. Some worship with just a piano. Some worship with organ and piano. A lot of different ways to worship. But I want you to see... And really, I'm winding down the message, not that I'm, I'm done or even close to being done, but I am, I am going to need you to take a few moments, about five minutes, and, and I wanted you to see about five or six different churches as they worship. Notice the number of people. By the way, when we get to heaven, folks, it's going to be awesome because there's going to be millions and millions of people. Can you imagine worshiping God? I was in a building the other day with 16,000 people worshiping at Winter Jam in Little Rock. I could, I've never been in a building with so many worshipers. It was incredible You said did you like all the genres no and guess what else i don't know i don't know which one god liked the most god for all i know god may like rap i have no idea i've never asked him <laughs> i know he liked the words because they were awesome and i know they're reaching people i personally it's not me but i was amazed at the worship and we're not going to watch winter jam don't get nervous Some of you wouldn't have a cow. And I understand that. We're not going to do that. But just watch a few churches as they worship. These are churches that I've learned from. All right, we're going to celebrate. What you saw was different churches that are worshiping. We are going to be different. But I want you to see, maybe for the first time in your life, there's not just one way to worship. There's not one church in town that's got it down. There's not one that necessarily I have to like the best. But I need to admit that worship is not limited to what my feelings are, the way I feel about it. I worship a certain way. You're going to worship may be different than I worship. But what we need to understand is it's all about not drawing attention to ourselves, but adoring Jesus Christ passionately. Passionately. Good. Now, let's look at John chapter 4, verse 23, and I'm winding down. He says, but the hour cometh and now is where the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I'll close with this thought, and that is this. The power of true worship. Because the Bible says to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And here's what I want to present to you today as a a thought. Most of us are really good at truth worship. Not spirit worship, but truth worship. So let's talk about truth worship. Because we are to worship God in truth. Amen? Truth. You see, if you think about it, man is both physical and spiritual, right? You have a body and you have a what? A soul. And your soul is your mind, which is your thoughts, your emotions, which is your feelings, and your will, which is your decision maker. You see, I may have something in my mind, but my will doesn't follow through with what my mind thought. Your will says, I'm going to do what the mind thought to do. A lot of times we come to church and we are hearers of the word, we're not doers. We get it in our minds, but it doesn't get to our heart, right? And so we worship God in our minds when we allow Him to control our thoughts. That's truth worship. We worship God in our emotions by feeling something when we sing. Passionate, heartfelt worship. God wants us to feel something when we worship Him. It's just like when my wife comes home and I say, Honey, good to see you. I, uh, it's time to tell you that I love you. And so here it goes. You ready? I love you. Now what's for dinner? Now, Carol Ann wants a little feeling. I'm just telling you. She wants a little, hey, sweetheart, good to see you. Come here. Come give me a hug. Give me a kiss. I love you. She likes that. (laughs) Ladies, come on. you got to admit, you like when the I love you is, I love you, baby, more than you do. I love you. God bless you, sweetheart. Now what's for dinner? Come on. A or B? Okay. So, so see, heartfelt worship. And then we worship God with our wills when my will says, listen, this is what got me to church today. I got to church today because I said, you know what, I'm going to go. I I know I need to go. I'm going to focus when I get there. I'm going to listen when I get there. And so that is your will. And so John 4, 24 says, we worship him in spirit and in truth. But listen to me, worship cannot just be a head thing. And for so many of us, worship is only a head thing. I grew up in a Catholic church, and so guess what? It was shoulders up, sit down, stand up, genuflect. Then I got to a Baptist church, and it wasn't much different. Pretty much the same thing, very stoic. We stand there, we open up a book, we look down, and we read, and that's fine. It's A lot like, honestly, the, the worship, there was not a lot of high energy. There was Nobody moved, nobody raised their hands in the churches I attended. Nobody worshiped, nobody closed their eyes. I, had, I attended one church, they said, if you hold the microphone... It's sensual, so we couldn't hold microphones. I know, but that's the truth. You know, I remember one time Sonya did this with her head, and they said, "No neck tilting." When you tilt your neck, you look like Elvis. You know, whatever. Don't tilt your neck. Keep it straight." I sang for Howells Henderson College. Here's how we were taught to say. You, you do a, it's like a rotating fan. Water from the rock is what I needed, water from which no one can deny, and when I come to Christ for my salvation, I find Jesus is the rock that satisfies. (laughs) It's a a rotating, and you just, actually, that was a little too much, I was doing this, it was more, and and we were taught, and we did that, by the way, I was good, two years I did that, and I was the best at it, I could rotate with the best of them. And that's what we were taught. And so we worshiped like we were taught. It wasn't let the Spirit lead. It wasn't, man, if you feel God moving, follow the Spirit. If you felt God moving, it was don't tilt the neck. Get your hand down. You know, this is what I was taught. Truth worship, it's only in the head, shoulders up. God doesn't want us to think just great thoughts about him. God wants us to be moved in our hearts about what we're saying and about what we're singing. We need to think great thoughts about God, but we also need to be moved and stirred in our hearts about... Look, why do you think while I'm preaching, I'm passionate? Would Are you guys okay with me being passionate in my preaching? Are you okay with me getting with it and saying, listen folks, listen to me, and, and illustrating things? I mean... To me, that's, that's important because I am passionate about what I'm saying. I am passionate, but I'm also passionate now about what I'm singing to God. Because I found that I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to just lift. And by the way, I'm not trying to impress God either because you can't impress God. I mean, folks, let's face it. He's in heaven right now with 10,000 angels worshiping him around the throne. God doesn't necessarily need to be impressed. He just wants to know how much you love him. God loves to be loved just like you do. We're made in his image. And someone says, well, Brother Eric, you need to calm down just a little bit. I'm not calming down. There's no hope for me. It's over. I've found out what it's like to worship, and I'm loving it. And I think I'm just getting ready for heaven, folks. I just feel like in heaven it's not going to be, all right, turn your hymn books to number. Let's sing the first, second, and last. I just don't think it's going to be that way. I'm not okay with first, second, and last. And we're going to sing the hymns forever. By the way, we're singing hymns that are new hymns. It doesn't make, we're going to do that. But listen, it, it's not about some ritual or some order of service. It's about God meeting with, the, with his people. All I've ever really known is truth worship. It's all I've ever really known is truth worship. It's all I've ever really known is make sure the doctrine's right in the songs. And I agree with that. Doctrine's got to be right in the songs. I was told that if you repeat a song over and over again, you know, they called them 7-Eleven songs. Personally, I think that we ought to repeat songs. It's about the fourth or fifth time I say it that it really starts getting to me. Amen. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I mean, come on. Sometimes we just need to say it over and over again until it finally hits us. But about five years ago, My wife and I and our family were on a vacation. And we decided we were going to go, you know, to another church other than an independent Baptist church. So we did. Preaching was great, but I tell you, I couldn't believe. I sat there just like in this church. I was pretty straight. But I looked around and thought, wow, people are raising their hands. I mean, there were probably 5,000 people there and 4,900 of them had their hands up. And then, here's what got me five years ago. I look at my daughter, Chloe. And she's there, and she's just kind of, you know, she's singing, and, and she looks up at me, and Dad, this is awesome. I love this. And I got to thinking, wow, out of the mouth of babes, you know. And it started. I began to learn that God just doesn't want us to sing about the Lord. He wants us to sing to him. Not just songs about him, but songs to him. Let me show you a picture of Chloe two weeks ago at Winter Jam. She doesn't know I got this of her. That's Chloe, just lifting her hands up in the middle of the service. I saw that. I got my phone out. Click. A little girl. Got her hands up at a concert worshiping Jesus. Full body worship. Look at it. (laughs) Lifting up holy hands. I love it. I love it. I'm excited about it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I can't get it all in today. I'm sorry. I just pray that you'll see my heart in all this. You know, we put these sermons on the website. We're not trying to hide anything anymore. I mean, God God is doing something in my heart and our hearts, helping me to understand I want God to meet with us every week. It's going to take time to, to, to learn and understand. Just like it takes me 20 hours sometimes to prepare a message. It takes this worship team two, three, four hours sometimes of practice. So that we can learn what God wants us to present to the congregation. It's going to take time for you to learn and for me to learn and understand. But today, if you're in this building and you'd like to know a little bit more about what salvation is all about, it's about worshiping someone. Salvation is about worshiping the one and only true and living God. There's no one like Him, folks. No one like Him. No one. And I just pray today that if God has dealt with your heart about salvation and you have felt the nug, the touch of God, if you have felt the Spirit of God, say to you today, you have come to a place where you can find God And he can be real to you today. I want to ask you to step out in just a moment. Come to the front. Take one of our pastors by the hand and accept Christ today. You can do that today. You can do that today. You can do it today in just a moment. When we stand, if you're not saved, if you do not know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You can today worship the one and only true king. He can forgive you of your sins because you're not righteous and neither am I. He can come into your heart and save you. And he today can give you a home in heaven forever with him. So you come if you need to. And others, if you need to come and pray. If God has spoken to your heart about the message, I want you to come and just take some time at the altar and just pray for a couple of minutes. I mean, that's what the invitation's for. If you need to come, you come and worship him in spirit and in truth. We'll talk about it more next week.